Welcome in, everyone. Glad to have you back. Another summer series, nonprofit horror story summer series. Uh, look, still the same. It's hot. <laughs> last day of July. Well, last Friday of July, if you're listening to this. You know, it's the weekend, last weekend of July. And phew, August is right around the corner. It's hot here in the Southwest. You've been hearing, if, for you folks out east, that uh, Phoenix is having, I think, like 18, 20 days of straight 110 or higher highs in the day. Uh, for you folks back east, it's hard to really describe how hot it can be, but it is just really hot. So glad to have you here. Be sure to follow us on Instagram if you aren't doing that already. We've got some numbers. Listen, we've got 75 followers. Instagram is just so interesting of a platform in the space. I know people now are talking about X. It used to be Twitter. Now it's X, I guess. Elon Musk. You know, Elon's app. And then you have uh, Threads. Still haven't hopped on Threads. I haven't even checked it out. You know how it is. 35. You're just too busy. Haven't checked it out. So follow us on Instagram. Millennials, you know where we're at. Listen, one thing to, to, to note... Usually I've been doing every, actually I have, it's not even usually, every other Wednesday I've dropped an episode since March. So we've gone four months straight of just content. This is the first time, I'm actually going to switch it up a little bit. No episode this Wednesday, August the 2nd. Um, we're we're going to do August 9th. We're going to do August 9th. I've got some really great topics coming up, but you know, need a little bit of respite, need a little bit of a break. So this is an opportunity. I, I work in uh, a space where I'm interacting with a lot of young people, actually, and a lot of young people are going back to school in the Albuquerque area August 3rd. So there's just a lot of transitions that are happening right now. So you decide, you know what, I'm going to take a break. We'll be back August 9th, fresh new episode. But things are going really well, actually. We've got some great numbers. We're, we're, we're racking up, actually. Downloads keep going up week after week, so we appreciate you all as insiders. That's what I like to call you all, insiders, because you're in the nonprofit space. You've got some great insights into the world, so we got you as an insider. One more thing, and then we'll get to the stories. This is going to be the last summer series uh, of the year, <laughs> because, and, and that's part of the reason, right? Because we have these transitions Kids are going back to school, at least here in the Southwest, the first week of August. I've got transitions. My, my son doesn't even go to school till August 22nd. He goes to a little bit of a different school. Uh, so they, they have a little bit of a different setup. So he doesn't go till August 22nd. But everything changes because he's got like two weeks, no camps and stuff like that. So I got I to gotta time myself accordingly these next three weeks. So this is going to be the last summer series. Uh, we're going to do this every year. I think we're going to do this every every June, every July here on the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. We are going to do the Nonprofit Horror Story Summer Series. So look out for 2024, and you don't have to wait till then. If you have a nonprofit story you want to share, go ahead and reach out to me at swim.kareem at gmail.com. I've got it in the show notes. It gives you a good opportunity to share some of your nonprofit horror stories uh, with the world. All right, I think that's enough for now. Let's get to the stories. One of my favorite aspects of doing the nonprofit horror story summer series, and look, I know it's only been the second episode, but we got some good numbers. Not to brag or anything, but 
I look at the download numbers, a lot of people like the nonprofit horror stories. So like I said, we're going to do this every single year. It's going to be great. But one of my favorite parts of doing it is the guarantee, a guarantee that you're going to get a nonprofit horror story from me. And listen, if you've been listening to the podcast up to this point, you know I give my insights, my thoughts into the nonprofit space, the industry as a whole, and some of the different energies that come in and out of the nonprofit world. But I haven't really shared a whole lot of in-depth nonprofit horror stories. And so every summer, you're, you're going to be guaranteed to get a story. Now, now, look, throughout the rest of the year, you're going to get some stories, too. I'm, I'm going to sneak some in. But at the very least, you know, June and July, Swim's going to deliver. He's going to have some really good stories to share. So that's one of my favorite parts about the nonprofit uh, summer series. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I had a little bit of a struggle. I was like, I have so many stories, but I need a good one, a fun one. You know, not too, not too deep. It's sun's out. It's hot. We're all smiling. Just a little bit more. I wanted a really good story. So I, I thought in the vault and I look at all these ideas. And then I remember I had a story from my time doing some international travel. Because as much as I've done a lot of work working in the nonprofit space as an employee, I've done a lot of activities as a volunteer in, in the nonprofit space. And this is probably one of my top five ever nonprofit stories. I mean, this. Honestly, this might be my, my top three nonprofit story ever. Uh, just as a whole, horror story, feel good, all of the above. This is just one of my favorite stories and one of the prime examples of what it can be like being in the nonprofit space. So l- let me tell you this story real fast. Back in 2012, my ex wife and I, we were living in Seattle, Washington. And we were, li- we were at a point where we had been living there for about two years, and we were discovering very fast. It's expensive to live here. We went from two cars to one car. I was working at a car dealership called Stadium Nissan. You guys can look it up. It's now defunct. So working at a car dealership, slinging cars, new and used. It's wet all the time. It's dark all the time. It's cloudy all the time. And it's expensive. So we have lived in one place, moved to another place, moved to another place. And the costs, even in that two, in those two years, it just kept going up and up and up. And so, you know what? We, we need something new. So my ex-wife and I said, you know what? Maybe we need to really do some travel and get out of the country. We had a little bit of taste. Um, we went to Canada one time because, you know, Seattle is only three hours of Vancouver. But we wanted something a little bit more. We wanted some beach. We wanted some sun. We wanted some good weather. And so we looked at Central America. And we looked at everything possible. And we ended up finding this place called Placencia, Belize. If you haven't been to Belize, an amazing country. It's the only country, if I recall right, in Central America where the main language spoken is English. So listen, I don't speak any other languages. That's an advantage for me, obviously. And it's a great, a great country. It has, um, at least where we were at, right? I mean, I haven't been to all parts of the country, but the parts where we were at, we spent a little bit of time in Belize City, like a couple hours. (laughs) We visited a couple other areas, but the country as a whole, really, really great. And so we were in this place called Placencia. 
That's spelled P-L-A-C-E-N-C-I-A. I'll put it in the show notes. And it's a town, small village, about 1,500 people when we were there between uh, Dangrinja and Puta Gorda. Again, I'll put this in the show notes. Y'all can look up this particular village. So when we were there, it's about 1,500 people. I looked the other day. It's been increased to about 2,000 people now. 10% of the village was made of expats from places like uh, Canada and the United States especially. And, and it was a lot of people from that area, uh, from like the Wisconsin's or the Montanas and the Torontos. People that were just like, look, I'm tired of being cold and shoveling snow all day. I'm going to go to the beach. So 10% of the, the village was expat. And they had a two-to-one Exchange rates or every dollar, U.S. dollar, got you $2 in Belizean money. It's close by the beach. I mean, we, we just really, really loved it. And after being there, after being there for a couple of weeks, we said, you know what? We, we want to volunteer. We want to be able to, now that we're a little bit more situated, we want to be able to learn more about the community, grow within the community, and contribute to the community. You know, we're coming there with our money or whatnot. Um, but we, we understand what it is. We're U.S. citizens in a country that uh, is not the U.S., right? So we said, you know, we want to be able to volunteer. And we ended up finding that there was a rotary club in the village. Again, a lot of the people that were doing it uh, in this particular rotary club were part of the expat community. Well, not everyone. It had a you know pretty fair mix, in my opinion. So we bust out the laptop, we find that we, we have this rotary club, and we could have just asked people in the town, but we said, you know what, let's, I guess, email? You know, this is 2012. So we're like, okay, let's email them. And so we emailed them, and sure enough, they ended up getting back to us and saying, yeah, yeah, we, we would love to have you all helping some volunteering. And we actually have a volunteer, a big annual volunteer project coming up that you all can participate in. My ex-wife and I are like, yeah, for sure. This is great. So we ended up meeting, I think it might have been the secretary or the vice president. Honestly, I can't remember who it was. We ended up meeting one of the people, a part of the Rotary Club at one of the local restaurants or something like that. And they're telling us about this particular program. Every year, they host a Halloween haunted house on uh, in the village. And one of the things that I really remember them saying was that they they put on this Halloween house. It's in like a, a, a building that has like a theater, it has like a stage where they do like plays and things like that. So they basically take over this little theater. They turn it into a haunted house and then kids pay a dollar. Just it was a flat fee, just straight up, just pay a dollar to go to the haunted house and they can go as many times as they want. They said they use that money from the haunted house and they turn it around and they buy Christmas presents for the kids in the village that, um, you know, just as a way to kind of give back. Love it. And it's a, it's a prime example of, you know, I was a person, I did junior civitan when I was in high school. I like to say that's where I really got my start in the nonprofit space, doing key club and junior civitan shout out to them shout out to the rotary club as well i said yeah that 
that's the type of program in the nonprofit space that listen, we're in the US, a lot a lot of folks do some really high-end things, but at a basic level, hosting a haunted house, using the money that the kids give you to have fun to buy themselves presents. I love it. And I'm sure they supplement some of it, you know, they probably add a little bit more to the pot, things like that. So I said, like, yeah, Ex-wife and I were like, yeah, that's we're game for that. So we, over the span of, I think, like three weeks, we would go and we'd help set up a little bit, um, help with the planning a little bit. But we, our main role was to really just show up and you know put makeup on our face and be a part of the prop. So a lot of the folks would uh, help with the setup and then they would be a part of the production where they go through the haunted house and people have the chainsaws, vroom, 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 but without the chains, or people would be screaming, ah, ah. and so the kids are, you know, the kids are young. They're like anywhere from 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up to adults. Adults would come through as well. And just like, yeah, this this is right up her alley. So I remember <laughs> after all that work, we set it up. It wasn't super hard. It wasn't anything extravagant. It wasn't like we had major productions. I think we had a fog machine, um, you know, dark, you know, dark lights, red lights, but nothing super crazy. It was really low budget, but so much freaking fun. And listen, I mentioned this earlier. They're they're all Canadians and Midwesters. These are folks that have lived in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal. And they said, you know what? I'm again, I'm done with this. I'm going to the beach. So these are all slightly older, seasoned veteran people. They're chill, they're relaxed, and they, they're just having a good time spending money, just enjoying the beach. And the day of the event, they, we, we all got together. It was like, I think it might it might not have been on Halloween. If anyone has a calendar, look at 2012. Was Halloween on a Friday, Saturday? But I know it was on a Saturday, so it might not have been Halloween day. But we all get together and we're talking about the process, you know, just doing final preparations, maybe like six, seven hours before the production is getting ready to start at sunset or around that time. And I remember they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, they bought food and all of this stuff. So we're eating the food. And one person had bought a, probably some of the best cookies I've ever had. I'm like, dang these cookies are good these are real tasty so my ex-wife and i are eating one two three four we're like dang these cookies taste real good no big deal we get the rundown we're like all right perfect we leave we go home because we're like our little uh cabana we go to the little cabana that we got no air conditioning no nothing we're just living it and we're like dang let's take a little nap let's chill for a little bit but as we kind of are relaxing just enjoying ourselves in the middle of the heat, you know, just trying to chill before we get ready for this. We're like, we're, we're starting to feel real good. We're starting to feel real good. And by then we had been living in Placencia for about six weeks. We've been, we explored much of the, um, the areas we had went up to uh, Hopkins and we went south. We had been doing some traveling along the coast of Belize, but we had been living here six weeks. We've been feeling comfortable. We've been connecting with a lot of great folks that are from the area, a lot of locals, really learning so much more of the culture and the background. 
So we're like, we're like, yeah, this is gonna be so much fun. Like, you know, we're we're 24, 25 years old, just living in this town, and we're feeling good. And we go from feeling good to feeling like, oh my gosh, we're like feeling kind of like really good, like out of there. And this is the part that gets a little bit fuzzy, because I don't remember if we found this out before the Halloween haunted house started or after the haunted house started. But somewhere along the way, even before or after, we go back and we discover and learn that the cookies are actually marijuana cookies. <laughs> I'm not even joking. My ex-wife and I were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense because we, again, we have been feeling really good, but it was at that moment we really put two and two together. And listen, folks, I grew up, I didn't drink a single drop of alcohol when I was in college. Not a single time. I was one of those like, I'm just going to chill. I didn't have any drugs, any alcohol, or any of that all through my first 23 years. And so this is my very, very, very first time ever having any type of marijuana edible anything. And it was not on my own will. I had no idea. We had no idea that these were Mary Jane cookies. So it, it explained a lot. And I look, one of the things, if you know anything about edibles, you know, some of you may do. If you're doing that at home recipe, unless you're a chemist or a scientist, you may not have the ratio completely down. So we had no clue how much was truly in it. We don't think it was a whole lot. We were young. We were to bounce back. We were able to do our thing at the haunted house. But that was so wild. And we start the Halloween. We start the haunted house. And it was so much fun, you guys. Y'all. Just an amazing time. One of my favorite parts was my ex-wife and I, we were on the stage and so we were like the second or third little like stop on this haunted house. So you come in, you got that first little like scare, you got that second little scare. And we were on the stage. And one of the things on our little setup and our production on the stage is you would walk by it and it would look like we were cutting each other's heads off because they gave us the chainsaw. Not even joking. So they gave us the chainsaw and we would turn it on go vroom, 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 and we would act like we were cutting each other's heads off. We would look at the kids' faces. They'd be so scared. They wouldn't know what was going on. I remember one or two occasions where someone would walk in. They'd hear the chainsaw, and they'd turn right back around. Just just a lot of fun. So much fun. And look, that's a true story. The cookies, the haunted house, all of it. So not necessarily a horror story in the way that we've done nonprofit horror stories here on the podcast, but a horror story in probably the purest sense of the word. So shout out to Placencia, shout out to Belize, and shout out to the, the, the Placencia Rotary Club. I got to look up and see if they're still around. I didn't look up beforehand. I was so excited to share this story. They did an amazing job. And so shout out to all the nonprofits and social clubs and entities out there that are doing some amazing work. Uh, you just never know what type of stories you're going to have and which ones are going to stick with you. I had um, received an email from someone on saying that they, they had a story, they wanted to be able to share it. And this was a, a really exciting moment because this is from someone that I did not know. Uh, they had found the podcast through a couple of you know different sources out there. 
And they said, hey, I'm really enjoying it, loving the nonprofit horror stories. Wanted to send you a message. So this is the very first person uh, to send me a, a story, and I, I don't know them. So big shout out to you, Carlos. Hopefully we'll cross paths. We'll stay in touch. And this is a good opportunity to plug it in. If you have a nonprofit horror story you want to share, just reach out to me swim.kareem at gmail. You can also hit me up on Instagram. It'd be easy to find. You know, just look up the nonprofit horror stories. I have that all in the show notes. Yeah, bada bing, bada boom. So an amazing story, a fun, but a little bit of a stressful story coming at you here. So let's go ahead and get into it. Carlos writes, Hello, Swim. Loving the podcast and the direction you are taking it. Excited to see where it goes. I have a nonprofit horror story that may not rise to the level of absolute terror, but it is one that put me in a state of much dread. So, I had a four-year-old cat named Oliver that I received from my sister who ended up moving overseas to Germany with her wife and, as you would imagine, could not take the cat with her. The cat and I bonded pretty early on and I got to love the cat pretty quickly. About two years after getting Oliver the cat, she went missing. She was an indoor-outdoor cat, so she usually would come and go as she pleased. After about four days of her not returning home, I decided I needed to put some missing flyers up around the neighborhood. I tinkered on the flyer for a little bit and ended up making about three different versions of the flyer. I didn't have a printer at my apartment. This was back in 2014, by the way. So I decided to print some copies of the flyers at the nonprofit cancer research organization I worked with. The organization is a mega giant in the health nonprofit world, but the office I worked out of in Indiana only had about a dozen staff members or so. I remember quite vividly that this was on a Friday and I wanted to print off about 40 or so copies so I could hang up the flyers after work and over the weekend. It was about 12.30 in the afternoon and I was about to go to lunch, but I wanted to print off a few copies in different colored paper before going to lunch so I could see what they looked like or if I wanted to make any changes. I printed off the copies and they looked pretty good. This is where things turned bad. I went to lunch at a deli close by ate and returned to my office about 45 minutes later. That's when, to my horror, I walked into my office and I almost was and I and I was almost immediately approached by one of my good coworkers. She said to me, and I will never forget this part. She said to me in a bit of a straightforward but concerning manner, "Is this yours?" while holding out one of the flyers in front of me. I nervously said, yeah, and she proceeded to walk me over to the table next to the printer where I saw hundreds upon hundreds of copies of my missing cat flyers. My face went blank. Our office would often close between 12 p.m. and 1 p.m., so when my coworker returned to the office from her lunch, She said the printer was running nonstop. So she went to see what was happening and discovered a pile of papers all over the floor next to the printer. 
She was able to stop the printer, but not before nearly 2,200 copies of the flyers were printed. To this day, I don't know what in the world happened. I don't know if it was a formatting issue that caused so many prints, or if I fat fingered the number of copies I wanted before going to lunch, but I was so embarrassed and downright horrified. It would be more than six months before I lived down the office jokes of what we called the 2014 print fiasco. <laughs> and here's the ironic part. Oliver the cat ended up returning to me about three days later. Turns out a person in the neighborhood thought the cat was abandoned and she ended up being at a neighbor's house for about a week. My advice for nonprofit cat owners, if you can put a collar and tag on your cat, do it. And of course, watch how many copies of flyers you print before going to lunch. Anyway, take care. Loving the podcast. And seriously, your nonprofit horror stories are 10 out of 10. I hope this makes the cut. Well, I can tell you for sure, Carlos, this is making a cut. And this is going to make a very special episode. It's making today's episode, episode 10. Um, what an absolute wild ride. B- because, of course, you're... you're, you're <laughs> wow. I'm, like, invested in the cat. I'm learning about the cat. And I'm like, oh, wow. There's flyers. I, like, when I was reading this for the first time, I didn't know what direction this was going. But by the end, I felt that embarrassment because listen, we've all been there, right? For me, this happens a lot when I'm doing Excel and I want to print off a form or uh, print off a spreadsheet or something like that. And you always got to watch the formatting, the formatting, because there are going to be those occasions where you print that particular page or two or three that you want. But then, you know, Excel is, is infinite. It can go on forever and ever. And so there have been moments, honestly, where I've printed off an Excel form and 50 pages in, I'm like, what the heck is going on? And you look at, you know, you look at the printer and it says it's going to print 1900 or it's printing uh, 1600 copies uh, or or pages of what you want. So 100% relatable, Carlos, you're not alone. And I know for me, I've had this happen, like I said, so yeah. And I had asked, I said, well, how did you know that it printed off 20? This was in a follow-up email. I asked him, I said, how did you know it was going to print or that it printed off 2,200 copies? And he said, they ended up looking in the print receipts and that it had, it was scheduled to print off 4,000 copies. And so his theory, although he can't, you know, 100% prove it, is that he entered in four zero and then maybe two extra zeros for 4,000 where he really meant to do 40 copies. So an, an absolute amazing story. Embarrassment is horrifying. So I get where you're coming from. So please be sure to follow us on Instagram if you haven't already at the Nonprofit Insider. We, we have some really good pieces of information uh, that, that are kind of floating around there. But be sure to keep keep up with what we're doing. And if you have a story, link up with us in the show notes because we'd love to put you on. Uh, because, wow, there's some really good stories out there all over the world. things I really notice about being in a nonprofit space, and I imagine that this happens in other worlds more specific. Like if you're in banking, I bet it happens. If you're in 
manufacturing or shipping or transportation. You know, you have conferences, you have seminars, you have your own little thing. But one of the interesting aspects about the nonprofit space is you can be a nonprofit adoption agency, nonprofit education system, and you can still have interactions with folks that are in nonprofit, I'm thinking uh, disaster relief or nonprofit environmental a consciousness or awareness because there's so many levels of interaction just a little bit more compared to the for-profit or the government space and i met this person back in 2000 i want to say 15 and i could tell that this was a really smart person really connected person has really good connections in the community and the environment in which we kind of operate but one of the things that was really most impressed with this person, really, really nice. And, and it's an old cliche of people don't you know, remember you for your money, or your status or your power, but they remember you for how they treat you. And this is definitely one of those people, just one of the nicest individuals that, that I've ever really had the ability to connect with. And I only interact with this person maybe once or twice a year. It's not a whole lot, but... Every single time I'm impressed with her, I listen to her. If she ever had things going on, it would definitely be one of those people. So for today's nonprofit horror story, we have Akira. Akira writes, this story happened when I was working at my first nonprofit job with an international arts organization located in a city where a lot of people have their second homes. Most of the board members were retirees, so it was not uncommon that they were out of town traveling internationally or spending time at their main homes in other cities. One day, the financial director was preparing a check for a sizable amount of money, and he needed a second signature from a board member, as it was best practice in the sector. Naturally, he called the board treasurer to see if she could stop by that day or the next to sign the check. She responded by saying that she was at her main home one state away. She then went on to say that she could jump in her private plane and come into town later that afternoon to sign the check. The finance director reassured her that wouldn't be necessary because he could ask another executive member of the board. I happened to walk by the finance director's desk right after the call ended so he shared a little bit about the conversation, and we both were, of course, floored by the idea that someone could fly in a private plane just to sign a check. At first, it felt like nothing more than a silly story because we were both very well that many of the board members were wealthy. With time, though, it became hard to work alongside people who didn't really seem to understand that most of the staff were living off a modest nonprofit salary. It certainly wasn't lost on me that some individuals could donate more money in a year than I made in that same amount of time. It's an interesting dynamic that in many ways feels specific to the nonprofit sector. Thank you, Akira, for being willing to share that story because I must admit, in the 14, 15, 16 years of being in the nonprofit space, I've never 
And I mean, never had a person say they could take their own private plane to come over from another state to do anything. I've, I've never even had someone say they've had a private plane. Peer. I don't even know anyone that, that has a private plane. So, wow, I, that's um, that's a story. And again, a very timely story because we're talking about CEO rates, compensation, and pay. I finished I finish hitting the record button and then Akira sends me this. And I said, I gotta throw this story in. And, and I wanna read something to you all because I, I, I reconnected with Akira on LinkedIn. Again, someone I, I, I run into, connect with one, two times a year. And I wanted to give you a little bit of insight because they were saying how they had switched over from doing nonprofit work and now they're working in government work, doing work with their local community, their local county. Uh, so big shout out to Akira, they're doing big things. And I thought this was a very interesting line when we were talking. She said, and I quote, it has been a very healthy workplace so far, which I have embraced with open arms. I always pictured myself working in the nonprofit sector, but after thinking long and hard, decided it just wasn't where I needed to be anymore. And when I, when I, when I read that, there was a moment of not not like a, not like a sadness but kind of like a dang because this is a high level person like i said really smart really connected innovative willing to take just a, a person that's willing i know for a fact take on really good projects and wants to do amazing things but sometimes you really just got to do what's best for you and so when i heard that i was like see the nonprofit states lost a really good person and you got to do what's best for you, you know, whether you're in government and you switch to for-profit or you're for-profit and you switch to non-profit, whatever the case may be. But the, when the non-profit space loses a really high-quality person like this, phew, my goodness. And what a story, right? I mean, I'm will- <laughs> I just love that. Uh, I'm willing to, to hop on my private plane and come into town later that afternoon to sign a check just to sign a check not to do not to have a meeting not to come for a couple days just to sign a check i mean that's insert blank here you can you can figure it out that's that's pretty wild so thank you akira for sharing that story uh be sure to subscribe to the non-profit insider if you haven't already again you can find us on instagram the non-profit insider you can reach out to me at swim dot kareem at gmail.com i've got it in the show notes if you have a story you want to submit we would love to hear it and i always tell people your story doesn't have to be horrifying or terrifying you just heard a cure story nothing super wild but that realization and i want to read the last two sentences from her she said it was cert it certainly wasn't lost on me that some individuals could donate more money in a year than I made in that same amount of time. It's an interesting dynamic that in many ways feels specific to the nonprofit sector. A great nonprofit horror story as we get out of here in the middle of summer. Go out there, enjoy the rest of the day. We'll see you in the next episode in two weeks. Take care.